This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Reading from Acts 18, verses 23 through 28. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Ralph. I will never, ever get tired of hearing you read scripture. Yeah? You ought to do the Bible on, like, tape or something. Man, oh man. That'd be a a bestseller, I think. Um, Someone pointed out to me during the time of greeting uh, something. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek. The implication was that um, scotch would help us come out of our shell. Um, scotch being the turtle, not a beverage. Um, so I just want to clear that up, okay? I was speaking of the turtle when I said scotch and coming out of our shell, all right? Okay, just, you know, you never know, right? You, you never, ever know. Well, you know, it is a joy to be a part of something called the body of Christ. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, uh, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that unites us together into one body, His body. We call that the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is a visible manifestation and expression of Christ's presence in the world. Did you know that? That we're salt and light. Uh, that when people see us, our fervent prayer is that they would see Christ in us and Christ lived out through us. Now, when we think about the body of Christ, and we think of our place in the body of Christ, I think uh, we have to be careful to avoid two attitudes. The first attitude is uh, questioning whether or not we have a place in the body of Christ. Uh, to put it another way, um, am I really needed in Christ's body? Do I have anything to offer? The other attitude that we have to be careful to avoid is kind of the opposite of that. And uh, it's, you know what? I have it so together. I am so spiritually grown up and mature that I don't need anybody. Right? And so on one side, 
There can be an attitude in which we feel like, well, gosh, do I really matter? Can I really contribute? Really, God? I have a place in your body? Really? And the other expression, which is the other extreme, is, you know what? I don't need anybody. I got it together. I'm pretty good, God. I must be your gift to the world. Right? Now, I I think it would be easier to admit to the former than to the latter, and yet I know that both those attitudes exist. I can remember a time when Lori and I were uh, new to a church. In fact, we weren't even married yet. We we were dating, and and as we were dating, I I remember expressing to her the desire that, you know what, uh, if we're going to move towards marriage in this relationship, uh, we need to make sure that our relationship is solid and it's built on a foundation of faith in Jesus Christ. And and it's important that, that we find a, a, a church that we'll call our home church someday, and we can begin to go together there now, we can get to engage couple counseling and the other things that are important. And we found that place. And we began to attend there. And, and, and frankly, um, you know, I didn't grow up in a, in a church like Community Covenant. And uh, I wasn't really familiar with the church culture. In fact, I remember one time we were working with junior hires and they were having a church movie night. They were, they were showing a, a, a Christian documentary at 6 o'clock on a Sunday night and everybody had come. Uh, to watch the movie, and kids were kind of wandering around on the steps of the church, and and Lori and I were were relating to the kids and had been doing some work with junior hires, and and uh, we said, hey, you want to go get some candy? And they said, sure, you know, I think the movie candy it kind of goes together, and and so we went up the street uh, to like this little mini mart liquor store, and there was a big candy selection. We bought some candy, and we came back to the church, and one of the mothers said, where did you get that candy? And their junior hire said, well, Todd and Lori took us up to the, to the liquor store to buy some candy. And it was kind of like, you know, scotch helps us come out of our shell. Right? Yeah, you get that. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that she just really came unglued. Now, we didn't know. I mean, we thought, well, you go to the grocery store, they sell alcohol there, right? We're just there for the candy. Uh, but that was a part of, of that woman's experience and a part of a church culture that we weren't familiar with. In fact, I like to say I, ch- I speak church as a second language. Do you know that? Because I didn't grow up in church, so I had to kind of learn church and churchies and church culture. And, and Lori and I, in that very first church experience together, we had to kind of find our way in the church. And, and I remember thinking, God, what do I have to offer? I'm with all these people, and you know, the pastor, why he was this godly guy, and prayerful man and man he was a man of the word i so appreciate our first church coming up under a pastor like that right we were anchored in the word of god in fact our study bibles still have notes going all the way back to 1982 you know pastor dick anderson uh, in romans or, or whatever great foundation for us but i wondered you know do i have anything to offer and uh you know we were willing to do anything we just wanted to be a part of the body of christ and uh, sure enough, uh, as is the case in a lot of churches, they needed help in the sound booth. Now, in those days, the sound booth was like a phone booth, and and the sound panel was about this big, right? And they said, Todd, all you have to do is when the pastor speaks, turn this up, put the cassette tape in, and when he's done, take the cassette tape out and turn this down, right? And it started out just doing the first service, but then, Todd, could you do the second service? And then, could you do the third service? And 
After a while, I was kind of like the trained monkey, right? I was just kind of pushing this and turning that. I kind of laughed. Me, a sound guy? Really? But we began to find our place. And then later on, we worked in the nursery. And we helped with the small children. And we were just wanting to fit in. But it was during that time that God was working our heart and our life. And, and, and people around us in the body of Christ began to acknowledge and recognize that we had certain spiritual gifts that God had given us. And it was really important because we couldn't see those things in ourselves. And I would venture to say there are a number of you here today that God has given gifts that he intends to be expressed within his body, the church, but you're completely unaware, perhaps, of what some of those gifts are. But there are people around you that see those things in you. And the Lord uses them and, and gives testimony to those gifts. And it's in the body of Christ where you're nurtured and you grow and, and you come into a, a fullness of the expression of those gifts that God's given you. And God intends that those gifts be used in his body for the building up of the body, for serving one another. It's so very important. And so I was in a men's Bible study. And uh, the uh, Bible study leader was a staff member. He was a church administrator. His name was Ken Cromines. Later on, we'd have all three of his sons in our youth group. That was later on. We got into youth ministry. And we were in a men's Bible study, and his father was ill. His father lived in Montana. And, and Ken said, I'm looking for a man that can facilitate Bible study next week. I won't be here. Would anyone like to do it? And, uh, you know, no one raised their hand. So Ken looked at me and said, Todd, how about you? Why don't you facilitate Bible study next week? And I thought, me? Facilitate a Bible study? Are you kidding me? I couldn't have imagined doing something like that. He said, no, it won't be a problem. I'll, I'll meet with you and I'll coach you and I'll help you. You don't have to have all the answers. Just facilitate the discussion. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And so the next week I facilitated the discussion. Ken came back and led the study. But little by little, I was asked to facilitate more and more and more. Until the next year, the lead pastor came to me and said, Todd, would you mind co-teaching the men's Bible study with me? I'll do a week or two and you do a week or two. And, and by the way, it's in the book of Romans. And I said, well, what curriculum are we using? He says, we're not. You have to write the curriculum. Each week, you have to write the study. Okay, so I just went from facilitating a group discussion now to co-leading the whole men's Bible study and actually writing the weekly study. It's like, how in the world did I get there, right? So I did that for a year. And then the next year, the pastor came and said, you know what, Todd? I want you to lead the whole study next year by yourself. I'm a what? It's like, how did I get here, right? And uh, it wasn't long I was doing that. And then I was invited to become a youth pastor at that church. And, and away we went. That was uh, 30 years ago. And here we are now. But we never would have realized our full potential in the Lord. We never really would have recognized some of the gifts that God has given us had we not been a part of a believing body of Christ where men and women believed that everyone had a part and a place and that they were better together. Do you know that? That we are better together. And that's God's design and it's God's intention for us in the body of Christ. And so I was the one extreme. What do I have to offer? Really, God, I can do something like this? 
And I thank God that there were godly people. God placed us in their midst. And God used them to draw out the very best that God had placed in us. And that's what's supposed to happen when the church is functioning the way God intended it to function. And I'm really grateful that in that body, there weren't men and women that thought so highly of themselves that they didn't think that they didn't need anybody or no one needed them. Okay? It was a very giving church. It's a church much like our church here at Community Covenant. Great examples of faith, men and women who love the Lord Jesus and are willing to pour their lives into others just as they poured their life into me. Um, you know, Paul, when writing to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians, and you might remember just a few weeks ago in our study of the book of Acts, we studied about Paul's ministry at Corinth. Later on, he writes to this church, and, and these people in this church, there were a number of them that were very prideful about their gifts. Uh, and they weren't magnanimous. They weren't necessarily um, willing to step out and recognize the gifts of others. In fact, they were holding themselves up in a higher uh, place. There was like a spiritual arrogance that some people had in that church. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about unity and diversity in the body of Christ. And beginning in verse 12 of chapter 12, he says this, just as just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we all were baptized by one Spirit, so that we all form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one, but many parts. Then he goes on to say this. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason to cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is written, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. (laughs) Next time you stub your little toe, remember that, right? On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but all its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. All right? 
Each of us are a part of his body. Each of us are important to the overall functioning, health, and well-being of the body. And so here this morning, you may be asking yourself, do I have a place in the body? Absolutely. And if you happen to be on the other extreme, that I don't need anybody and nobody needs me, well, then I would say, well, no, that's not true. The scripture doesn't say that. That none of us should think more highly of ourselves than anyone else. That all of us work together in the body of Christ. And we see in our scripture today, in the example of Apollos, And Priscilla and Aquila, a perfect example of how the body of Christ is supposed to work. How each member builds the other up. Now, as we began our passage today, the Apostle Paul had previously traveled from Corinth with Priscilla and Aquila and had left them in Ephesus and gone on without them. Now he's working his way back up to Ephesus on what will be his third missionary journey. Now, the scripture tells us that as he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus, they encounter a man named Apollos. Now, Apollos is from Alexandria. That is in Egypt. Now, that later on is going to be a very important city uh, to the Christian faith and movement. It's actually going to become the intellectual hub of Christianity. And out of it will come people like Clement and Origen. It was also named for a, uh, known for a, a well-known philosopher named Philo. And so here is this man named Apollos. And he is an incredibly gifted person. And we see in him four qualities. Three that I'm going to mention make him a dynamic, effective teacher of the gospel. The fourth makes him usable by God. What are those qualities? Number one. The scripture tells us that he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scripture. He knew the word of God. He was able to express and explain the word of God. In fact, he was defending that Jesus was Messiah based on the Old Testament scriptures. And he had various skill in his methodology, in his presentation. He was a wonderful orator. In fact, later on, he's going to be sent to Corinth. And while he's there, he is so effective, he's such a great communicator, that later on, the church kind of forgets about Paul, who actually helped establish the church there. And instead, they point to Apollos. And they say, oh man, this is a guy I want to follow. And there begin to be divisions in the church. Some people say, oh, I'm a follower of Paul. And someone says, I'm a follower of Peter. And others said, man, that guy, Apollos, oh, he's such a great preacher, right? He would be the radio, television preacher of his time. Everyone would tune in to hear him, right? So he was very skillful. He had a knowledge of Scripture. The third thing was that he had a fervency of spirit. He was impassioned in what he was doing. He believed in the message of Scripture. He believed in the centrality of the Word of God and believed it was important to share with people because he knew God wanted to transform their lives. But there was just one thing missing. He and Alexandria had been influenced by disciples of John. Not John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. 
And you remember, John came baptizing the Jewish people, and it was a baptism under repentance to prepare their heart for the coming of the Messiah. John was a herald saying, the king is coming, the king is coming. Prepare yourself, get ready. And so he baptized them, but it was a baptism under repentance to prepare their hearts to receive the coming king. And that is what he was taught in. And so no doubt he was teaching about the coming of the Messiah from the Old Testament scriptures. And he teach, he taught in the synagogue there in Ephesus. But Priscilla and Aquila, who had met Paul in Corinth, who were fellow tent makers who took Paul into their house, had learned from Paul the whole gospel message and became partners with him in the ministry of the gospel. When Paul leaves Corinth after a lengthy stay there, Priscilla and Aquila go with him. He drops them off at Ephesus. And that's where they are, and that's where they encounter Apollos. Now, they know, because they had been taught by Paul himself, that Apollos needed to hear the whole gospel. He needed the rest of the story. That Jesus had come, he had lived, he had died for our sins, he was resurrected from the dead, he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit had come to fill all those whom, by faith, had trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In other words, they needed to hear the whole gospel message, Apollos did. And that's exactly what Priscilla and Aquila did. Now, they didn't chastise him publicly. What did they do? They invited him into their home. And there they taught him. Now we see something here. We see in Aquila and Priscilla three qualities. One, obviously they were able to accept Apollos right where he was. They didn't chastise him. They didn't criticize him. They recognized his gifting, his talent. They recognized what he did know. And based on that, rather than chastising or challenging him publicly... They invited him into their home to care for him, to nurture him, and to teach him the whole counsel of God's word, the rest of the story concerning Jesus Christ. They accepted him right where he was, but they didn't leave him there. They were able to see, number two, where God was working in his life. They knew this was a man that was anointed, that was called of God to preach. But they also understood their place in the body of Christ, that they were to help encourage and equip others. And sure, they surely did that. And the third thing was that they encouraged him and they participated in God's work by coming alongside of Apollos. So here were this dynamic couple, which, by the way, later on, they're going to go to Rome from where they originally had come. And at the end of Romans, Romans 16, 3 through 5, Paul writes about them and says, because of their ministry, they helped many people come to faith. They had a house church in Rome. And so what you see them doing here with Apollos in Ephesus, they had done with Paul in Corinth, and later on they go back and they do the same thing. They are a vital, equipping, dynamic couple working together to equip those in the body of Christ to be useful vessels in the ministry of the gospel. Isn't that good stuff? Good stuff. And at the very end of his life, in 2 Timothy 4.19, Paul is writing to Timothy. And, and at the very end of that last letter that the Apostle Paul ever, write, ever wrote shortly before his death, you know who he 
tells Timothy to say to acknowledge that to give his greetings to some of the most important people that he'd had relationship with in ministry and who does he call out he says say hello to Aquila and Priscilla my fellow workers in the gospel they were a dynamic couple they opened their hearts they accepted Apollos where he was they saw where God was working in his life and they came alongside and they participated in that work now the fourth attribute that Apollos had that made him useful for God. Oh, he was knowledgeable in Scripture. Yes, he had skill in his delivery. He was articulate. He was the TV preacher, radio preacher of his day that everyone would have turned into, right? He had a fervency of spirit. But there was one thing he needed if he was going to be fully equipped for the work that God called him to. You know what that was? He had a teachable spirit. As good as he was, as accomplished a speaker as he was, as fervent as he was, he was open to Aquila and Priscilla. He was open for correction, for encouragement, for equipping. And so we, in the body of Christ, need to share in that same openness, in that same willingness to teach and to be teachable, to receive from one another what God wants us to have in order that we might be effective in his body, his expression in the world. Later on, Paul writes a letter to the Ephesian church. And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, he writes these words which I think are so apropos and so appropriate to what we're seeing here today as an example of how we're to function together in the body of Christ. And now as you read this, maybe he was thinking about what he had heard and seen later on as he came back to Ephesus about Apollos and about Aquila and Priscilla. Listen to these words. May they be our words this morning as we think about how we encourage one another. He says, Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Isn't that exactly what Aquila and Priscilla did? And I thank God that Apollos, as accomplished as he was, recognized that he needed other people that Aquila and Priscilla had found their place in the body of Christ and they saw in others perhaps what they didn't see in themselves and here was Apollos who was very accomplished and yet he was humble enough to be teachable and to receive exactly what he needed and as a result of these three the gospel spread throughout the area in Asia Minor as well as on the European continent. The ministry of the gospel went forward. And so as it was with them, may it be with us this morning. Just one final word. Um, our culture today uh, is redefining all kinds of things. And 
There has been a cultural redefinition of marriage that has been recognized by the Supreme Court of our country. And with that, you probably have questions. What is going to be the position of Community Covenant Church? What is the position of the Evangelical Covenant Church? I want to make that very clear to you this morning. Okay, If you go to covchurch.org, there is a position paper on human sexuality. You can read in more detail what I'm about to tell you. But here is the position of our denomination, and this is the position of our church regarding same-sex marriage. That we believe that marriage is between one man and one woman in a monogamous, monogamous relationship. Okay? And that for those brothers and sisters who are single, um, we believe their call is to practice chastity, celibacy, in singleness. That's the position of our church. That's the position that we maintain and that we'll continue to maintain. Okay? Now, there are a lot of ways we can respond to what's going on in our nation. For some, it's political uh, involvement. Others, it's social activism. But what I want to say this morning, um, before Pastor Tyler comes up, you can come on up, Tyler, and the worship team. I believe, first and foremost, before we do anything else, that we need to open our own hearts before God. And I believe that God is calling his church to holiness. That before we look outside of ourselves, before we look at what's going on in our culture and, and point out things that we believe are not biblical or scriptural, we first need to look into our own hearts and lives. And we need to look for areas in our own lives where we need to repent, where we need to get right with God, where we need to turn ourselves back to God. Because I believe in the days ahead, the, the area of gray is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And God is calling the people of God to a holy standard of living. That we might be a light that shines. And that people would know that we're different. Because of who Jesus Christ is and, and his transformation of our lives. And that as a result of that, we can offer an alternative. We can offer hope to those who are wondering and questioning, is there any other way to live? Yes. We live as followers of Jesus. But we as a church need to be purified. We need to repent. We need to look in areas of our own life that aren't right, that aren't biblical. And we need to invite God into our heart, into our lives, and into our church as the body of Christ. That we might be holy. And that we as the bride of Christ, His body might be pure and ready to receive Christ, our bridegroom, because he is coming again. And let's prepare ourselves. Amen.